Okay, good evening everyone. Broadcasting live September 12th. Today we have a quote on compassion, I believe, from the Visuddhimagga. Oh no, here it says DHPA, commentary to the Dhammapada. Probably also the same quote that's in the Visuddhimagga. In passing. Robin, would you please read the quote for us? Yes. Compassion is that which makes the heart of the good move at the pain of others. It crushes and destroys the pain of others. Thus it is called compassion. It is called compassion because it shelters and embraces the distressed. I can't pull up the link. That is moved. I like that word move, no? It's a good description because there's a fine line from being between being moved and being affected in the sense of disturbed or uh, upset, becoming sad. Moved is just the uh, opening it up as a possibility and the, the, the change in weighing you know, of, of options. So you normally suggest that a person would do nothing, but a person with compassion, uh, with an open heart and an empathic heart, it uh, makes them inclined to um, naturally move towards helping other people, towards freeing others from suffering. And the rest of the quote, um, it'd be useful if we had the original because it's actually trying to explain the word karuna, not the word compassion. And karuna comes etymologically. I mean, they make they they offer several etymologies, and that's uh, crushing and destroying. Uh, somehow, uh, could be related to the word karuna. And sheltering and embracing, as as well could potentially be related to the word karuna, the words for shelter and embrace. Can't think of them. Or maybe it's the distress. The word distressed has something to do with compassion. Karuna. Yes, compassion is another one of the four. This would be in a broader context of describing each of the four Brahma Viharas. Compassion is compassion is special though because it's one of the qualities of the Buddha. I consider that the Buddha one of the reason the reason the Buddha taught 
reason the Buddha didn't practice for his own enlightenment and be satisfied with that was due to his great and overwhelming compassion. Let's see if we can find this. Yeah, it'd be difficult. We could find it in Uisugi Manga. But I was thinking maybe we could find the story. Anyway, don't have too much to say. Nothing I can think of that comes to mind. Does anyone have any questions? Yes, there's a question already. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Have been practicing Vipassana meditation. I started to sometimes get the feeling that I didn't change place when I walked from point A to point B, but merely the scenery changed while I remained in the same place. Is this sensation a cause for concern or can it be considered a mark of progress? Thank you, Bhante. Um, the only mark of progress that you should be looking for is, I'm not looking for, but recognize is uh, understanding of impermanent suffering and non-self in the sense of those things that you thought were permanent or you, you clung to because of a perception of permanence, you now don't cling to them because you see that they're impermanent or those things that you thought were satisfying, you now don't cling to them because you realize they're unsatisfying or those things you thought you could control, now you don't cling to them because you can't control them. That's about it really um, and so this experience is impermanent suffering and non-self um, impermanent unsatisfying uncontrollable and so any value judgment you might place on it is going to be a cause for suffering because you cling to it and you have this misunderstanding that somehow it's going to be stable satisfying or controllable it's not. So it's not a cause for concern. It's a state that is different from another state. If anything, it shows you impermanence. That before uh, it was like this, before it was like that, now it's like this. It shows the instability of reality. Reality can change your perception, the way you look at things can shift. That's impermanence non-self as well because you're not controlling it but it's suffering as well because it's not according to your desire and it's not going to satisfy you and no this isn't really a sign of progress or anything beneficial there's no benefit to be had from that state except seeing impermanence seeing the three characteristics can compassion with oneself lead to diligence Compassion for oneself? I think so, yes. Um, yeah, again, I don't think you can cultivate compassion for yourself. It's not fruitful. 
it's useful as a as a example but doesn't actually lead to any higher state of of awareness how can panic attacks be managed um the symptoms look at the symptoms because the symptoms are not the panic so focus on the symptoms and you'll forget about the panic that's one part of it we panic because of the symptoms you know we panic and then the symptoms and then we panic based on the symptoms and it becomes a that's why it becomes an attack because it says it snowballs so i mean mostly focus on the symptoms but as well the panic going back and forth being able to differentiate between the symptoms the physical symptoms of the panic and the panic itself is useful being able to break up moments and not get caught up in the, the whole uh, problem the attack because a panic attack doesn't exist it's just what the idea you get oh my god i'm having a panic attack actually there's lots and lots of experiences the thought the word the concern about it, the panic, the physical aspects. There was a good question the other day, right at the end when it was getting late and everyone was tired and you said, do you want to answer this one? And I, you know, I obviously didn't, didn't answer it the way you would, but it was a good question. It was about, you know, when negative feelings keep coming back, you're being mindful of them trying to be mindful and they just keep coming back. Mm -hmm. I think you would probably have a lot more to say about it than I did. Well, we're not trying to get rid of anything by being mindful, except delusion. Um, but even then, it's not about trying. It's the, the effort isn't to make things go away and never come back. The effort is to see clearly. And part of seeing clearly is seeing that things aren't, experiences aren't under our control. So that they keep coming back, even though you don't want them to, is a clear sign of impermanent suffering and non-self. That's what should be what you'd expect to see. That you can't make them go away just because you want them to. And so it's much more about tolerance and non-reactivity than about changing what you experience and what comes back. Even bad feelings, because they're only going to go. They're only going to go once you stop reacting to them. Once you stop giving them power over you. Either we're all caught up on uh, questions, or people are still meditating. One or the other. I got a good group, good number of people. Yes. Mostly green. Okay, so um, what about doing the news? Sure. Let's do one night a week, maybe Monday night. Is that a good night? Sure, yeah. We'll do Monday night news. Monday a good news night? I don't know. Sure. I mean, any night's a good news night. There's always stuff going on. Okay, but we need more people to join the hangout. Yes. So this means we need some people who we know a little bit. Mm -hmm. Is there anybody else there who we know? We had all kinds of people in the Hangout on Reddit today. That was so nice to see because usually everybody's camera shy. Mm -hmm. So that was awesome. So yeah, there's all these people we know. Maybe we don't need a panel. I mean, we should open it up, and but maybe we shouldn't like 
require it. Well, we could um, we could open it up because there's always the Q and A panel. You know, you can open up the Q and A panel, and um, people can input, you know, by text. News story. People can input news stories. Yeah. And yeah. questions, they can, or with questions, they can post a news story and ask us questions about it, yeah. or they can post a news story. The most interesting news story I read today was they um, there was a write-up in our local newspaper about the 17 Republican candidates for president in the U.S. and their religious background, and mm -hmm. it was interesting. You know, they most of them had started out at one thing and changed to something else, and mm -hmm. uh, they they had all this you know interesting history. One um, Bobby Jindal was born a Hindu, and he now considers himself an um, what was it? Um, oh my goodness, the word just went out of my mind. Um, well, a Catholic and uh, sort of a, an evangelical Catholic, which is an interesting combination. <laughs> but apparently half of this district is evangelical and the other half is Catholic. Um, and he's just getting everybody there. So it was just interesting. But there were no Buddhists, no Buddhist candidates at all. Yeah. Not surprising. Not surprising. I have a question. Yes. Are you comfortable in the new place? Oh, actually, I skipped a big question, but... Is it a question? It's a big paragraph. Yeah, yeah, I skipped that one. Sometimes when I meditate, I become aware of my body feeling heavy and numb. Shortly after this, maintaining mindfulness seems to become much more challenging. In other words, I'm having myself having to refocus more often. Is this normal or a sign that I might be, that I might be? Sure. Sounds like you must focus after yeah. the sentence. It can happen. Well, mindfulness, it can be challenging. And I mean, it's always going to be challenging. Don't expect it to get easier. It's something you have to do here and now. Forget about the past, the future. Now. What causes that when you, you know, I've noticed that as well, just parts of your body, like sometimes my hands will feel extremely heavy, like they're just sinking into my, my legs or something. What, what causes that? Let's say concentration will, will cause that. Sometimes I feel very light, sometimes I feel very heavy. I think my teacher would probably say PT. Really? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because it's, uh, that's just a classification, but mm -hmm. the point is that it's caused by concentration. Okay. Caused by many things. I mean, it can be caused by a residual concentration. You know, if, you, if you're the sort of person who does a lot of computer work, uh, I think heaviness can be a sign of that torpor. Mm. Yeah, it's an imbalance sort of in the physical aspect, maybe in the brain, you could say. It's a, sort of an imbalance that works itself out if you do an intensive course. So those kind of things come less if you do an intensive course. It can also, be, it can also arise at one of the stages of knowledge, bhanganyana, 
there's uh, heaviness, lightness. Are you comfortable in the new place? Um, place is place. It's not really... Oh, I don't know. I suppose I could say. Um, the idea of being on my own is pretty awesome. And it's not like... I don't mean not being, not having people, but like not having a... Um, you know, a boss? It's not a boss. It's a, a culture or a, a, a institution hovering over me. Like here in, in this monastery, it's great. The facilities are great, but it's Cambodian, and there's a Cambodian community. People are great. The community is great, but it's still an institution, and there's traditions and practices that are... Know, in conflict with some of the things that you know it's it's hard to move and it's it's stifling in a way so the freedom of being my own monk someone interesting i got an email today that i'm not i almost you know i kind of decided i just wasn't going to respond to it but it's by a lay buddhist here in ontario who i know quite well from the internet but he's always had this sort of just out of the blue, he'll just criticize. And so it was critical. He said, like, there's something wrong with a monk being alone. And he, he pointed to this other monk who had a friend or who, who always seems to be with other monks. And he said, that's more accepted. And you being on your own, like just out of the blue, really, we were having a, a dialogue about this other monk who was going on alms round. And it just it was a it was a friendly dialogue, and suddenly he comes out of the blue, and and then he suggested that it might even be against the vinaya what I'm doing being being alone, which is really bizarre. Because being alone is is how many monks spent their time alone in the forest? Yeah, it seems like know. seclusion was uh, kind of highly prized. Oh, often he, the Buddha praised seclusion, and friendship as well, but. Being alone is is an important part of the you know like there are times to be alone for sure and staying alone for the rains this happened a lot so anyway I mean it's just I don't know what to how to reply to that because <laughs> it was pretty openly critical uh, so I guess I have to reply and and explain myself. Is there any concern with it? Isn't there a tradition of reciting the Patimokkha with a, a Only if there's a number? So, so there is a rule, and it's kind of like, not quite a rule, but it's wrong for five, four monks, right? four monks who don't know the Patimokkha to stay together. Because uh, if, you're, if there's four monks staying together, then they have to recite the Patimokkha. And if none of them know it, they can't stay together. But one uh, monk alone cannot recite the Patimokkha, even at least four monks. So there are rules, you know, there's just, there's a there's a protocol to follow when you're alone. So why would there be the protocol if you couldn't stay alone? It's, I mean, it's bizarre. I mean, he's he doesn't really have a deep, and he knows he doesn't have a deep knowledge of the world. It's just, I don't know, it's, it's, 
too too long living alone i think the, the, he wasn't into the social more the social niceties of you know not phrasing it as an open criticism i just thought how do you reply to that maybe testing you he's, he's just a little odd nice guy very smart very into poly Um, Brian says your audio on the YouTube feed is muddled. It's it's not muddled for me. I don't. I'm not sure if uh, you may have to go closer. The, yeah, I'm not sure if it, it is for anyone else. It, it sounds fine for me. Could be the internet here is not so good. Yeah, Bronson says you're you're going in and out. So. Maybe maybe a little problem with the internet there. Hmm. How is the audio feed? Better? Yeah, I mean, it, as far as I can tell, it's fine. I didn't yeah, notice I mean, going in and out. But. The audio only feed? There's that. Yeah. I understand that we can focus on other parts of the body rising and falling with the breath, such as the chest or even air passing past your nose as you breathe in and out. Is this correct? Yeah, I mean, to some extent, the air at your nose isn't real. You're not experiencing the air at the nose, you're experiencing a, a sensation. So you can focus on that sensation. Um, it's more subtle, so it's more likely to lead to tranquility. And so we favor the stomach, which is more coarse and less likely to lead to tranquility. You never talk about spiritual energy in your video. Is it something that people... I apologize. So, so often when I'm reading these, they just flip right up and I can't see them anymore. You never talk about spiritual energy in your video. Is it something that people talk of in your tradition, or is it out of context? Out of context. I mean, well, it's not in... Spiritual energy is just energy. It's not important in our tradition. Is it okay to meditate with your eyes open? Yeah. I mean, you can meditate anytime in any situation. Because vision is so distracting and so all-encompassing, especially in, in modern times, maybe more so, I would say. Closing your eyes has a benefit of keeping you focused. If you find other dining places that you might find adequate that accept gift cards, please let us know. How are you doing in that regard? Doing quite well. Well, actually, thank you. Actually, I wanted to mention that tonight, and just my, a lot of things going on today. So again, in my mind, um, it's really awesome how you know this is really great. The amount of support and encouragement, and just all around keeping me alive is awesome. It's uh, a um, Something well, I'm grateful for the support. So, there's people have been sending Tim Hortons cards, and so now I've got um, 
this morning I took the other monk here, or he took me, he drove, and we went to Tim Hortons because it was raining and I was you know, walking in the rain, not so good. I didn't bring my umbrella. Uh, so we drove to Tim Hortons and had breakfast together. And I think tomorrow morning we'll go to Tim Hortons again for breakfast. And uh, yeah, several places. There's this Williams Fresh store I haven't eaten there, but someone gave me sent me a gift card. Some guy gave me the Starbucks card, and yeah, doing quite well. Short story, long story short. That's so, awesome to hear. Now we just have to get you a, a table and chairs, right? nowhere to I don't to need sit at chairs um, no in fact the, the dining room now has all the all the all the, the garbage that we've got so we went Robin and her husband drove us through the area around the monastery <clears throat> looking for or garbage or uh, cast out and we found several couch couch cushions and two beanbag chairs and we washed them all and took the took the styrofoam out of the beanbag chairs and washed the, the, the shells and now all of that stuff is in uh, the in the dining room in sort of a circle so the book the, the library the library has seats in it and that's a nice place to meet just everyone sitting on the cushions and on the floor I don't think we need a table and chairs at all. Okay. I was just thinking when meditators are there, if they were eating or something, but I guess maybe you can eat on the floor. We can eat on the floor for sure. Um, yeah. So, I mean, the only the only problem would be for older people who, who certain people who have a problem or aren't able to sit on the floor. It would be good to have a chair or two. They have these little plastic stools, like um, they use them in Thailand for washing when they do hand washing and sit on these little stools close to the ground. Or, and so they use, they, they've adapted them and used them for meditation. So we can look into that, but let me talk about that tomorrow. Sure. Do your meditation courses start on a predetermined schedule or just whenever people show up? Whenever people show up. But they do have to let us know. Just showing up is probably a bad idea. Aruna, when he showed up on my door, I didn't rec I didn't register who it was for at first. And he had his luggage. <laughs> and I thought, someone just showed up. And then it hit me who he was. And oh yes, right. Because I recognized him. <laughs> it was for a brief moment there. It's like, uh-oh. You're supposed to let us know in advance. That's good. I'm glad he's there. Mm -hmm. He got into the washroom finally. Good, yes. <laughs> Yesterday he, he sent a message to me. Um, Bhante had gone back to his old monastery for the weekend as the requirement of the rains and and the new uh, person, Aruna, was there by himself and he was he was locked out of the the washroom, which that can be problematic, but he found he found out how to get in. I've got a bad cold and have been meditating on the physical sensations of being sick. I feel much worse as a result. 
not sure why I'm doing this or what the point is. What should I be looking for? No words. <laughs> Meditation makes me feel awful. It's funny. Um, well, no, the meditation isn't making you feel worse. I guarantee it. It's your own reaction. Why? Because now you're not running away from it. You're not avoiding it. <laughs> that was funny. Practicing meditation. Now I feel awful. What a horrible thing, right? You're, you're more in tune with, you know, all the aches and pains and mm -hmm. you're paying more attention to it. No, no distractions. Which is awesome. Way to go. Good stuff. It's tough, I know. And it, you know, enlighten, who said enlightenment was going to be easy? Look at what the Buddha said. He said, "I won't, uh, I won't move from this spot, even if my blood and and flesh should dry up and only skin and bones remain. I won't, I won't waver." The Buddha was very hardcore. Didn't he um, allow monks to have to use urine as a medicine or something? Well, that's different. Urine is actually a useful medicine. Look it up. Yeah. It's uh, using your own urine is it can be quite healing. Urine is not waste. It's not, it's not garbage or or poison. Feces is, but urine is leftovers. It's leftover. It's like clear purified blood, sort of. And uh, it's healing as a a salve on your skin, and it's a curative internally. Look it up on the internet. Some people swear by it. That's hardcore. That's hardcore. But your own urine is the best because it has your own signature. In India, it was actually a thing. Uh, it's Ayurvedic. Wisdom we talk about urology. I think is. The, I cannot figure out how to stop walking when I get distracted. I am too distracted to stop walking. Then when I finally notice the distraction, it goes away. What do I do about this? That's fine. When it goes away, you just, then you just say, thinking, thinking, why? Because you don't want to doubt about what should I do. When it's gone and you re recognize it, you can either say, th either say thinking, thinking, or just knowing, knowing, because you know that it went away, so that it stops at that, so that you don't get frustrated that you were thinking and didn't notice it. When you catch it, just be aware of the present. It's gone, it's past already. The other night you said someone bought bottled water for you. Are we to understand that you don't have the water turned on in the house yet? And if so, is there a plan in place to establish that? It's a good question. Um, well, not that question, but the, the, this, the underlying question is whether the tap water is drinkable. Because yes, we have tap water, but Hamilton, Ontario is called the armpit of Ontario. Uh, if you look at it on the map, it's kind of a joke because Lake Ontario looks like it's curved like this and Hamilton's right in the, where the armpit would be. But it is a very, very dirty factory city. So I don't know whether the water is drinkable. Can you just drink the tap water? Sometimes, some places tap water is better than bottled water. That's true. That tap water is tested many times a day in municipalities, whereas mm -hmm. bottled water is tested less regular, less rigorously. Mm -hmm. But I'm not sure if that's consistent everywhere. But we should talk about that tomorrow. Yes. 
volunteer list set up? Yes. Okay. So yes. we can. Uh, we should maybe put out a notice that if people want to get on the volunteer list, we should give them the link. There's a link they can subscribe themselves. Do you remember what that is? I was looking for it and I, I didn't come across it. In the admin, there's a there's the list info. It gives you a link to the list info page. Okay. Mail, it would be mailman list info, and then what is it? Volunteer. Yes. Yeah. It's 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 um you know the normal the admin link you just replace admin with list info. Okay. Using meditation or otherwise, have you explored what mind states or physical sensations occur at the time of death? I was wondering if you had any thoughts on this in general, even if not. Um, yeah, well, a lot of what we experience in, in insight meditation is ostensibly quite similar to what one would experience at death, probably not as extreme, but a lot of the things that we hold on to and don't realize it come up during meditation. And that's a lot of, that's a, a great reason to practice insight meditation is to work these things out before it's too late, before you have to you're forced to deal with them. So during meditation, bad deeds that you've done, bad things that you've done, things that you feel guilty about that maybe weren't even bad things, anything that you're holding on to, it'll come up during the meditation as though in the same way as it would when you're passing away. Having conversations with new people is stressful to me. Could meditation reduce social anxiety? Absolutely. Stop worrying about yourself. Less ego, less concern about your own uh, uh, you know, image. Less concerned about what other people think. Much more comfortable as a result. There's less worrying about doing the right thing and the wrong thing. But it's a long path. I remember when I first went to Jamdong, I was oh, terrible worried. See, being in a foreign country, you're afraid of everything. I mean, I was. I guess some people aren't. But it's if you're the sort of person who gets afraid, who's afraid of doing the wrong thing, which I was, it gets amplified when you're in a foreign country. And so one monk said to me, he said, you know, you don't have to be afraid. I said, of course I have to be afraid. I have no clue what's the right thing to do. And, and everything I do is wrong. And it's just, it was amplified. And, and just realizing that and watching the fact that I couldn't change it. I couldn't turn it off. I couldn't make myself not worry, not be afraid. And just watching as over the years, you know, the habit breaks down. You, know, you work your way out of it through the meditation, absolutely. Also through growing up. I mean, part of it, there's old people, people have something about them that, you know, they've gone through it, they've lived through it. Meditation's just highly accelerated and refined and it avoids developing bad habits along the way. But you know, as you get older, it gets easier. I think I can. Meditation is more certain, more sure. Yeah. I, I felt a big change with meditation. I spent a lifetime being extremely shy, quiet, 
uh, self-conscious and mm -hmm. two years ago I would not have been here mm -hmm. talking to you. <laughs> Drew thinks you need a filtration device. That, um, well, yeah. But bottled apparently, water is quite cheap and reasonable. Yeah. Yeah. But apparently, wasn't it a problem with the filtration devices? They don't actually work? Filtration devices work. Brita's don't work. Those Brita, Brita pictures would do nothing. They're not supposed to. I didn't know that. If I catch a distraction going away, in other words, it is going away right now, is that an object worth noting? Yeah, absolutely. Knowing even or you know, disappearing. If you want. Knowing is, is the best catch-all. It's just easy. You don't have to think too much. Remember the Buddha said, don't, don't pay attention. Don't grasp the uh, sign or the particulars of the object. It's the general that we want. So just knowing it arose and it ceased is enough. But just keep it at that. Keep yourself from delving into the particulars. Oh, what was that like? Was it good? Was it bad? When it is said that by the practice you build an island for yourself, does it mean you have less problems in your life? Build an island for yourself. I mean, it, it, I think that's a quote of uh, be a, yeah, be a lamp unto yourself, be a light unto yourself. Could be island as well. Deepa can mean lamp or island. Funny. And, but it probably means that for an, be an island, right? Because don't depend on anyone else. Be, become independent. It means that you're independent. It means that, um, and I guess not just independent, but also unaffected. You know, rising above the, the flood because... Samsara is likened to a great ocean. The defilements are like a great flood. Uh, an island is something that is is uh, above the water, above the flood. So it's this imagery of being um, invincible, in a sense, or safe from defilements, from suffering. Mindfulness is the ultimate safety. If you are truly mindful, nothing and no one can hurt you. Mentally. So tomorrow, another big day, we have meeting at 12, Visuddhimagga at 1, Pali at 2, and then I'm heading back to the monastery, our monastery, and, and the, the young monk here is going to drive me because we're bringing pillows and blankets. Today was a big, big group of people here. So it's good that I come back for that. It's good to be 
you know, be a part of this community. The head monk was really happy that I was coming back, or he was happy that I was coming back because because he's not here. He's in Ohio, so having an extra monk is always good. People like to see. Yeah, one thing that um, it's just such a shame that I realized what it is in a way of describing it is supporting monks and giving food to monks was so that they could live was because you wanted the monks to live I mean I think that's that's a really good way of describing it why do monks go for alms because they need to live why do people give them give monks alms? because they want the monks to live but it's become uh, you know why do you want them to live so because they are our they are our means of of they are our doorway to Buddhism Right, to the Buddhist teaching, to our practice. Them living allows us to practice. But that step has, is missing now, and it's become giving food to the monks is our practice, which is, I think, a real shame. You know, what do you do when someone dies? Feed the monks. <laughs> Why? Because that's the religious practice. It's not really. I mean, yes, it's good. It's great. For us, we get food, it's good rate for them. They go to heaven. It's not really Buddhism. And it's not going to keep Buddhism alive. We're missing that step. I guess you shouldn't be quite so crass as to say, you know, we have to feed them because you know, they'll die otherwise. And it's like feeding a dog, kind of, right? It's not quite like that. We respect them as well. Feed them because we respect them. Isn't that the first step, though, the generosity, and then you kind of build from there? Well, no, it's not. I mean, it's good, and it helps in your practice, but the first is sila. Okay. You don't have to bother with generosity. I think it comes. I think generosity is like metta, you know, karuna. Why are we generous? Out of metta, and out of karuna, out of mudita. And out of opeka, because when someone needs, you don't you don't judge them; you just give. But all of that should come from from insight, not really the other way around. But so it's like an optional; it's like a a, a support that that helps you, can help you in the practice. It's a great thing to do. It's a great foundation practice. But you shouldn't say it's the first step. It's not really. I mean, we don't want to. We don't want to make it sound like we're looking for donations or, you know, looking for charity. But I guess that's not what it means, right? Because charity is giving to, to poor people, homeless people, helping your family and so on. I must have, I must have misunderstood. I remember reading something that had three tiers and it was, um, you know, and it was, a, it was about giving or, or merit and I thought it kind of went, um, your generosity, dana, and then uh, sila, and then meditation training. It's not in an order like that. Those are the three ways of performing punya. Mm -hmm. The punya, punya is still generally based on sankharas. It's, you know, it's punya bi sankhara. It's, uh, it's an arahan doesn't have it, doesn't have the desire to give rise to punya. Punya is worldly, leads to heaven. So the Buddha praised it in the sense of people want to know how to go to heaven, so we teach them how to go to heaven, and they're happy. 
and more so because it shows karma, it shows cause and effect. And ultimately, it's a good thing to talk about and to teach because it helps people to let go and it leads people closer to renunciation, to the ability to let go, to not cling. It's a good, good, good practice for sure. Generosity is awesome. Charity. I've always loved being charitable. It's great to be charitable. I fed a monk this morning. People were charitable to me, so I was able to be charitable to him. And he was charitable to me in that he drove us. And charity is awesome because other you help other people and they want to help you. It just makes life so much better. People smile at you. People are happy. You're happy because you feel good. You did something good. Of all the other things I've done in my life, I did this good thing. And it's concrete. You know that that was a good thing. Everything else you may have done in your life, all the bad things you did, I just did something good. And that's concrete. Sometimes more concrete than meditation. Meditation is nebulous and the beginning can be discouraging because it's hard work. So it's, uh, you know, it's easy. But my gripe here is that it's so easy that people just fall into only giving. And the monks are certainly, well, the monks often fall into complacency because when people are giving, you know, what else do we need to do? They're giving us. It doesn't last either. It's, um, it's unsustainable. Because the reason people give in the first place is because they understand the Dhamma and they understand the benefits of giving. When I look at um, pictures of, of Asia, the uh, the big monasteries in Thailand and everything, they look so elaborate. Is that because of the so much giving there, I would imagine? Yeah. I mean, you don't see that so much in Sri Lanka. Some of the monasteries are impressive, but a lot of them are very, very simple. It's because there's far less of this um, uh, focus on giving. More focus on study? Yeah, I mean, people do give, and there's a big focus in Sri Lanka on giving food. So I think it's fairly rare for monks to go hungry in Sri Lanka. But there's not the obsession with, with um, I mean there it's not even about donation, it kind of is, but it's donation for the purpose of building. People like to build things in Thailand. Um, yeah. I've been experiencing what I believe to be rapture since I started meditating four months ago. I feel like I'm fairly equanimous in regards to it. Is it normal for imperfections of insight to last this long? Or am I perhaps missing something? Well, it depends what, what kind of rapture it is. What, what is it that you perceive as being rapture? Um, you know, if it's like the actual rocking back and forth kind of rapture, then that's something that you should stop. And one teacher said you should actually tell yourself, stop, make it stop. Uh, like rapture is, it, as an imperfection of insight, it's this getting into a rut when it becomes a, like a broken record. 
anything like that is an imperfection of insight in the sense that it's distracting. Um, it's not really bad, but it will distract you from the practice. And there's a subtle nikanti. The number number ten is nikanti, which is subtle appreciation or enjoyment of it, partiality towards it, which sustains it. And that's hard to see. And that's why it's useful to just stop it. Have you heard how different is the experience of dying mindful and dying without mindfulness? Dying without mindfulness is a lot like relay, really. I mean, it's a wheel of fortune or whatever. It's, um, it's quite random in many ways. Not exactly random, but there is a lot of unpredictability. It depends what in the last moment you cling to. And that isn't always a clear, um, isn't something you can easily know in advance. But if you're mindful, then you don't cling so much to anything. And you certainly don't cling to bad things. You'll cling to more subtle, more refined things that you can't easily be mindful of. Of course, if you're perfectly mindful, you don't cling to anything, and there's no rebirth. But if you're unmindful, you might cling to the first thing that comes along, and who knows what that is. If you cling to it strongly enough, you'll be reborn based on that. Hmm. Um, Simon wants to know if you're going to record your ceremony on the on the 20th. I think the ceremony is on the 20th, right? Yeah, good question. I probably won't. If there's someone else around who will, they can. I'll be orchestrating everything, trying to make sure the monks get fed. You can just leave the uh, a live stream up, right? You know, I really don't am <laughs> that keen to set up video equipment and move stuff around. And Simon thinks you should have your teacher on as an interview. I tried, to, I tried to record him once, and he would have nothing to do with it. Oh. Last time I was in Thailand, I tried to record him. No, could, did he have any message for the international community? He just wouldn't do it. Feelings of hands touching, massaging my head, along with feelings of energy flowing all around it, all above it, all over it. That was the uh, the rapture regarding mm -hmm. the rapture. Never heard of that. That's interesting. Uh, in your head, yeah. I mean, it's just the energy. It's impermanent suffering and non-self. The big one there would probably be non-self in the sense that it's not something you can make go away. You know? As long as you are, see it for what it is, you can just ignore it if it lasts. And when it comes back, acknowledge it again. Be careful of any frustration you might have that it's not going away. But certainly be careful of any enjoyment of it. That's all. It's not a problem. It's just a sensation. What are your thoughts on inter 
interfaith marriage or relationships, particularly between a Buddhist and a Christian? Why would you marry a Christian? I'm often, you know, it's a little bit weird to me, but, you know, people don't take religion as seriously as I do. For me, I couldn't imagine marrying my marrying, but marrying a Christian. It just seems really odd because, well, just because religion is an important thing for me. You know, could I? I mean, I couldn't, but um, I couldn't imagine marrying someone who's not Buddhist. I think people do it because, well, they don't, most people don't take religion very seriously. But a practicing Buddhist, I think, would have a hard time marrying anyone of any religion. I've heard of Buddhists who married Muslims and just the horror that it brings to their families because most Southeast Asian Buddhists are not vegetarian and uh, that's not a problem, but the problem is the meat that they cook. They, they, their, their children can't eat their food anymore. And things like just won't eat off the dishes and, and really weird stuff. That, not weird stuff, but just stuff that, that drives their parents and the stress that it brings. I can't imagine. But the things people do when they're in love, right? I guess that's what it is. You fall in love and you think you've met your soulmate and you ignore the, the problems. Can you please talk more on heaven and hell? It's almost 10 o'clock. I'm going to sleep. You want to learn about heaven and hell, go read about it. How about a, what's a good sutta to read on, on heaven and hell? The um, the Bala Pandita Sutta, M N. Jiminikaya one twenty nine, I think. Yeah, Bala Pandita Sutta. That's the right one. Yeah. Right. Hell. <laughs> this is the sutta I read to these kids who came and ordained as novices, and then that night they couldn't sleep alone. Were it rightly speaking to be said of anything that is utterly unwished for, utterly undesired? I lost it. Utterly disagreeable. It is, it is of hell that, rightly speaking, this should be said so much so that it is hard to find a simile for the suffering in hell. And then one of the monks pipes up, but venerable sir, can a simile be given? It can be, the blessed one said. And then he goes on. Drew says you look drained, but I guess that's probably what happens when one goes back to university and establishes a monastery all in one week. Well, when you're only in the morning, 10 o'clock at night is, is already, you know, it's not, it's not even just the work or that I've done a lot of work. I'm not, you know, doing physical labor, but only eating in the morning. Um, you know, I was teaching from 5 to 7, I've already done a teaching. And to do a second teaching, yeah, the brain doesn't work so well. Sorry. Well, I think you 
did fine. Thank you, Bhante. Thank you, Robin. I think we'll quit there then. Good night, everyone. Good night.